0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: What's up, guys? It's Harrison Phillips here, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellows on the Circle the Wagons podcast on Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network.
2: Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills, baby.
1: Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us on this special interview episode where I talk with Nate Geary of WGR 550 and Cover One. Uh, Nate is one of the great young voices on the station. And one of the reasons I wanted to have him on, besides the fact that I've always enjoyed his work, um, listening to Sports Talk Saturday or the pregame, halftime, and postgame shows that he does for WGR550.com is he also breaks down film each week with Eric Turner of Cover One. So it was nice to be able to talk with him about some of the questions I had regarding the team for example uh why did the Bills struggle so much against the Chiefs whereas it seemed like the Buccaneers handily uh defeated the Chiefs in the Super Bowl what did the Bills wh- what could the Bills do better in the future and what were they lacking we talk about free agency we talk about the Bills biggest needs in his opinion we talk about Uh, Matt Milano re signing. Would you sign him back? Is it worth signing him back? How would you sign him back? And then we also talk, of course, about JJ Watt um, and his thoughts on that. And then we also talk about, you know, uh, Josh Allen and his, you know, I wouldn't say struggles, but uh, he didn't play very well in the postseason. So uh, he had a red hot finish to the end of the regular season. So I got a chance to ask him about why he didn't think Josh Allen performed as well in the postseason. We also discussed the Bills run game, which I, I think we would all agree was an issue in 2020 and how you could improve upon that. And we talk about a bunch of other things. So without further ado, Nate Geary of WGR 550 and cover one. He is the host of Sports Talk Saturday and the host of the pregame, halftime, and overtime postgame show of each game during the Bills season on WGR 550. And he also co-hosts the Film Room with Eric Turner from Cover One, where they break down Bills film during the season each week. I'd like to welcome Nate Geary to the podcast. Nate, it is so good to finally talk to you. How are you?
1: Good, man, thanks for having me. I mean that the introduction makes me realize I, I don't do much else uh, with my time other than golf and do the radio. So uh, you know maybe maybe I should take up some hobbies. It sounds <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's talk right about you know the end of the Bills season, the end of the Bills postseason. You mentioned in an article on WGR five fifty that the Bills were playing with house money this season after getting to the AFC Championship, which I totally agree with. Um, it was still un- unfortunate that they lost. But the season overall was a success. They ultimately lost pretty convincingly, I'd say, against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. I thought going into the Super Bowl that the Chiefs got hot again after playing the Bills. Then I watched the Chiefs get manhandled by the Buccaneers. What did you see the Bucs do to Mahomes and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl that the Bills weren't able to do to them just a couple of weeks beforehand?
1: So, uh, sustained, consistent, Unrelenting pressure of Patrick Mahomes. And I think, um, the ability to play on the back end at a level that the Bills simply haven't played at. Um, and, and that's nothing against Hyde poyer and Intradavius White. I just don't think they're built defensively from a secondary perspective to line up across the board, run a ton of man coverage. Um, and, and, and ultimately let the, you know, let the, the, the defensive line get after the quarterback. And I think Kansas City did that same thing to the Bills, right? They kind of did that same concept of um, they're not really going to blitz Josh Allen a ton, but when they do, it's going to be simulated rushes. They're going to be delayed rushes. It's going to be really hard for you to identify when you're going to get rushed or blitzed. Um, and I thought, you know, what was it, the four times that they rushed or uh, that they blitzed? Patrick Mahomes. I think for the most part, that defense just pinned their ear backs, up, ears back up front. The, the, I guess, the little bit of the demoralizing part of this, right, is that outside of Eric Fisher, who got hurt against the Bills and ultimately didn't play in the Super Bowl, that offensive line was almost exactly the same across the board, um, and the Bills simply didn't get any pressure on on, on Patrick Mahomes whatsoever. Um, so to see that line minus just Eric Fisher, the same, you know, other four. Uh, you know kind of rolling out there against uh, Tampa Bay it made me really look um inward on on sort of where they need to be better and I think it's across the defensive line and it's not just from like a speed and a edge pass rushing per- perspective I think they overall need a, a far more physical um you know like you if you're an offensive line like you know you're 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 like not looking forward to having to play the bills defensive line because you know, they're nasty, you know, they're going to get after you, you know, that they're going to play physical for, you know, four quarters. And th- that's not saying that the bills offensive line doesn't do those things. I just don't think they're particularly physical. They're more finesse speed. um, And I mean that, and, and frankly, small uh unit up front. I mean, if you look across the interior of that defensive line at times, you know, you have Quentin Jefferson and, and, um, and Oliver in the lineup at the same time. I mean, you're giving up, uh, you know, 140 combined pounds to the interior offensive line that they're playing in front of. So, you know, the, as the return of Starla Tulley will, will potentially bring some of that physicality back to the table. But the defensive line to me um, was one thing that really stuck out because it just, you know, the, the difference that Eric Fisher makes isn't, isn't what we saw. It, Eric Fisher is a good player. Um, but what Tampa Bay did to that offensive line was domination, and, and Eric Fisher wasn't going to make that any better.
0: D- Isn't that a little disappointing, though, to think that because the Bills had the most expensive defensive line in the entire NFL, and they still couldn't get, you know, half the pressure that the Bucs did against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I don't want to necessarily point to the cap figure year for this defensive line. I, I think, for the most part, it was it, it's been kind of patchworked together. And I think for the, I, I think that they've frankly overspent um, on the defensive line, in particular on guys like Trent Murphy. Um, I think Mario Addison was a noble miss. Um, but I think one of the things that that I think you know I, I would strike slight caution in the JJ Watt uh, conversation, which I know you and I will have at some point in this conversation, but um, is paying edge rushers in particular. After the age of 32, um, it is a very slippery slope. The um, the overall numbers suggest that over a pretty large sample size that most guys, even the most top elite pass rushers, fall off a cliff at the age of 32. And, you know, I, I don't want to say we saw Mario Addison fall off a cliff, but this was a guy that three consecutive seasons of double-digit sacks and basically is – at best a replacement level player making 10 million a year and when you think in retrospect the same contract that they handed to Mario Addison was handed to Shaq Lawson in Miami you know you wonder would you have been better off and I think the answer to that question is yes but you know they didn't value um, Shaq Lawson as a 10 million dollar a year player I still don't think he is so I, I think ultimately thats what ends up being a wash but interior wise I think they they overspent a little bit on um, on Vernon Butler and I think you know more than likely he'll will be a cap casualty as well. I, I, like Jefferson. I think they did, you know, potentially overspend a little bit, but they can restructure his deal, get that cap hit down. And if you're going into next season with the idea that you've got Star Latula like coming back at Oliver Quinton, uh, Quinton Jefferson, who has the flexibility to kind of move in and out, um, of the interior and then play edge. Um, on rundowns as well, with you know the the Zimmer and Phillips, who kind of were the depth players as well. I think you're fine there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the, I think Brandon Bean knows that there needs to be at least one significant upgrade to this defensive line. And and whether or not JJ Watt's the name that you look at, um, you know, they're going to have to reallocate some funds there. You're right. I mean, they spent a lot of money on the defensive line, and they're really diminishing returns um, uh, for, for that spend.
0: Well, let's get into JJ Watt right now. I mean, there was just a report out. Um, just a few hours ago from when we were recording this saying that uh, that there's significant interest from J.J. Watt for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, do you actually yeah. see that happening? And if so, I mean, do they, they have to make those moves to Vernon Butler and potentially restructuring some contracts to make some space for J.J., right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they'll have to do some maneuvering for sure. And and I think if you ultimately bring J.J. Watt in, you, you can make the savings between Butler and Addison alone would, would probably give you plenty enough to give J.J. Watt a, um, the, you know, a contract, but you know, ultimately, my question becomes: is you know, there was a report from Mary Kay Cabot of uh, in Cleveland that you know the Browns were willing to pay quote market value for JJ Watt, indicating like the ten to twelve million that you know had been kind of muttered around between what the Bills in Green Bay would be willing to to sort of spend. The idea that the Browns could come in at a number like seventeen million a year. Um, would simply be too rich for the bill's blood and i would not want them to chase jj watt at that number i think that jj watt at a number makes a whole heck of a lot of sense a 10 million sign me up because here's the thing here here are some outlier uh, outlier statistics that might tell you that he is the anomaly that he's um the james harrison or the even you can point to like the jared allens of when they turned 32 you know they had career years um, but for the most part, it's overwhelming that, you know, these guys at the age of 32, they, they really fall off a cliff and, and it's far closer to the end of their career than it is to anything in the prime. And, and I think if you're looking at, is JJ Watt going to fall into one of those hats or buckets, you know, JJ Watt is coming off of a thousand snap season. There were three bills players that had a thousand snaps last year. This isn't a guy that had good pass rush rates at with small sample sizes playing, you know, 40% of the snaps. Um, this is a guy that dominated was top five in pass rush, um, effectiveness, um, and, and, and on a very large and one of the largest sample sizes at the position. So what indicates to me that I think that's a, that's a pretty clear indication that this is a player that can still play at a high level, especially if he's given a slightly reduced role where maybe he's playing, you know, 800 snaps, 750 snaps. Can you get more quality snaps from JJ Watt if you're able to limit him? Um, and if you can, and you can get him at a $10 million number, I, that's, Yes. Like that, that's the move you have to make, but anything north of 12, I think you're, I think you're fishing for the JJ Watt of years past. And I don't think you're going to, I don't know that you're, you're willing to to test to see if you can get that in such a consequential year. And, and I just retweeted, uh, you know, something from, um, Chase Edmonds of, um, the Arizona Cardinals and, you know, the running back. And he said it's going to be crazy thing about this free agent period is that there's going to be a lot of guys that sign one year contracts because of the salary cap situation. And there's going to be teams that are in positions. The contenders are going to be in positions to sign guys to one year contracts that in no other year would sign one year contracts. So I don't want the bills to lose out on the opportunity to pick up, you know, two players. Um, because, you know, they ultimately put too much bread in the J.J. Watt basket when the, those returns may not be as good as signing a Matt Milano back to a one year deal um, or signing, you know, a Matt Milano and somebody else for what you could have paid for J.J. Watt. So, you know, I, I think there's some give and take there. I am. I, I think there's absolutely a number that exists that I'm overwhelmingly for going for J.J. Watt.
0: Well, let's talk about Matt Milano really quick. I mean, regardless of what happens with J.J. Watt, let's say it does not happen and the cap remains the same and, um, you know, we're looking at his, him potentially being one of our top free agents that we're looking to sign. Um, I love Matt Milano. I think he's one of the best young linebackers on the Bills that they've had on the roster dating back to, I don't know, Takeo Spikes, London Fletcher in their prime, maybe. I mean, do you think the Bills should pull out all the stops to sign him? And do you think they even will?
1: Um, if you, my opinion on is, no, I don't think they should. Um, I think Matt Milano is a great player. Um, I think he far exceeded, um, where he was drafted, um, and his draft position and what he was able to do for this team in this four years. I, I think ultimately you have a decision to make the linebacker position. Is it Tremaine Edmonds or is it Matt Milano? And it, just from a understanding of how to value an asset on an NFL roster, you're picking the 22 year old. 11 times out of 10. Um, and that's what I'm doing here. And, and I think they're both very similar in terms of how good they are. I think they're both on a similar playing field. I think they're no doubt, undoubtedly better with each other on the field. Both of them are better. Um, having said that, I value Tremaine Edmonds long term. Um, you're not going to allocate, you know, 10%, eight to 10% or even higher than that. If depending on what Milano would get to the linebacker position of your salary cap. You're just, you're just not going to do that. Um, so you have room to spend for one linebacker. And I think that linebacker is going to be Tremaine Edmonds. It's nothing against Matt Milano. Um, he just ends up being the, the shorter straw um and i think that there's 100 percent he's going to get overpaid somewhere and likely have a fine rest of his career um but i think he's a replaceable player it's not going to be easy i'm not saying he's an easy hole to fill he's an incredibly difficult one to do but i think it, it can be done in the draft in the first round in the second round i think it could even be done um and and i think ultimately it could be done potentially in free agency as well and and i also think you know they can do uh, more packages with AJ Klein in the field as as he really did look better in the last quarter of the season, last half of the season really, and and find a really reliable big nickel player that can play um, in a lot of those second and third down situations and, and obvious passing situations where you have more versatility and coverage on the field and 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 maybe you can platoon replace Matt Milano. So for me, I, I just it's a no-brainer. You're not paying Matt Milano. i I don't think that they're going to overvalue him. I think if there's a chance he comes back. It's on a one-year deal, and he gets to next offseason where, you know, I I think he's right on the cusp of the type of player that in any other year would be overpaid, millions of dollars, but because of COVID and because of the reduced salary cap, um, I I think that he's right on the cut cut line of players that likely are going to draw the short end of the stick and would be better off taking a one-year deal. And you can't make an argument that there's any better situation for Matt Milano in a one-year situation to try to regrow your – you know, your your value on the market than going back to the team of a system you know in a and a team that's probably gonna be playing late into January. So, um yeah, I think that's the only situation Matt Milano comes back to the Bills.
0: Well if if they do not end up signing Matt Milano, like you said, um you think it's more likely they try to re sign John Feliciano or Daryl Williams instead?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that they're even mutually exclusive. I I think if they're if there's a world where they want matt milano and they value one of or both of daryl williams and, and uh and, and john Feliciano. i think that makes sense here's the thing um i i think i've almost come to a place where i'd i'd like to there, there's always an understanding of when to cut an asset when you're when you have extracted the most you could get at him for the value that you paid him if that makes sense right and with daryl williams he's probably never going to be the million plus not whatever the 10 million plus million dollar player he's going to end up being in free agency he is not that player what he is is a tremendous player in in hindsight when you're paying him almost a veteran minimum like that is why people like him and you saw value in him is you paid him nothing and saw really great return on investment at the right tackle position there has never been a better time to cut to cut the cord with daryl williams and draft Liam meikenberg or one of these there are so many good tackles that will be available and interior offensive linemen that'll be available for the bills at 30 and even you could probably find a starter along your offensive line um at their second pick as well at 90 whatever it is 92 um so for me it's a no-brainer that i think you you move on from darrell williams the question is just like my my, my point with jj watt is i think there's a number that i'm comfortable bringing back J., uh, john feliciano at um, I don't think that number is a number I want to pay him as a starter. I think I want him as my main depth guy off the bench that can, um, come in and play center if Mitch Morse gets hurt, um, or come in and play either left guard or right guard, you know, depending on the situation, be a guy that can be their Swiss army knife. And he needs to be a paid as such, not as a guy that's going to be a starter or a mid-level starter, even. Um, and I think he has earned the right to, to test freight and see if, and see if a team is willing to pay him starter money. I just think at this point, I don't see him as the long-term answer at center moving on from Mitch Morrison and sort of handing the reins to him. I don't see that as the, the best case scenario for this team. And I think he is good, fine, but not good enough to pay and build around at right guard. So knowing that, I think, you, I think your left side is pretty, is pretty, it's set. I think you've got the end dog at left tackle and you've got either Ike Butcher or Cody Ford at uh, Cody Ford or left guard at whoever wins that that preseason battle and whoever doesn't I think you feel really good that you've got two good players at that position right I think they're going to bring back Mitch Morse I think they're going to probably restructure his deal add an extra year on and 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 create some cap space that way and I think the only way that Feliciano is back is is if he's willing to take you know kind of like a hometown discount Quentin Spain type contract and I wouldn't pencil him in as the day one starter I hope you wouldn't anyways at right guard.
0: So I, I wanted to ask you what your biggest positional need is on the Bills roster now, you know, offensively or defensively, um, that Brandon Bean and, and the front office really have to address this offseason. And, and I, it, it sounds a little bit like you're leaning offensive line, either the right guard or right tackle position. Or is there another position that you see, uh, as, as much more of, of a need than those spots?
1: It's a good question. I uh, I think there's a couple of obvious answers, right? I think I think most people might point to the tight end position, right? Um, they might say tight end is the one position that this team needs to get better at. I'd argue, what are they going to do with John Brown? Because if they if they move on and they cut John Brown, well now you've just created a I think a need at wide receiver because I, I think Gabe Davis can absolutely step into the number two wide receiver position. But what if Gabe Davis or Cole Beasley or you know Stefan Diggs, God forbid, get hurt? um now you don't have the same level you don't have a Gabe davis moving into john brown's position like he did last year when john brown got hurt right you don't have that flexibility so that's a position i could argue if you're moving out from john brown you better replace him with somebody in free agency especially if isaiah mckenzie walks um because he's going to likely get more than the veteran minimum that he's been making and qualifying offer the last two years um so you know wide receiver could be a sneaky position um, I think offensive line I think is the obvious one right I think I think it's not as simple though with the offensive line because a lot of I I think it I think it needs a, a makeover and I don't think you can do it with just you know just drafting a right tackle I think that's a start Um, but what about right guard you know that's kind of my, my next question but I, th- I think the real argument here, there's two positions and they're both defensive that I think really make the case. And I think both have equal cases, but maybe it's the defensive line that, that gets the nudge here. But I think defensive line, particularly on the edge, whether it's J.J. Watt, whether it's you know drafting a guy, I don't know that in this draft you want to be reaching for an edge rusher. I just there's not a lot of proven talent at the top of this draft and same on the interior of the defensive line. This is a pretty weak in terms of top end talent um on the defensive line there's going to be a lot of really good mid-level guys in the first at the end of the first and the second and third round. but this is not the draft where you're going to go get a um you know a burns from from carolina um or you know even a, a aj panessa potentially um so that that's what a little bit of what you have to be concerned about so i think you have to try to take care of that in, in free agency but i think the sneaky position that i you know i think people should talk more about significantly upgrading is that's quarterback 2 position um, on the outside, Xavier Rhodes has sort of been a name I've, I've always been I cling to because I think of how good of a fit he'd be um, in Sean McDermott's system. I wouldn't sleep on Richard Sherman um, as a potential possibility. Whether he actually represents an upgrade, I'm not sure. Um, he he is still a really good player, but man, you know, foot speed is is not strong with him. And, and I think this defense needs to get faster, not slower. So. Um, For me, I think cornerback two is a sneaky position this team uh, needs to consider upgrading in in a major way because I think it's maybe the one missing link. I think you can make up for some deficiencies of losing Matt Milano with better, consistent long-term play at the cornerback two.
0: Okay. Okay, well, let's talk about um, Josh Allen really quick. Um, you know, he made a significant jump from his second year to his third year and you guys, you and Eric study the film each week. And what did he improve upon specifically? Was it mechanics or was it mentally seeing the field and reading defenses better or both? Mm. Uh,
1: I think there's, you know, I think there's probably a laundry list of things, the things I'll, I'll really hone in on our um, time on task. And this is something that, that, you know, Someone like Peyton Manning talked a lot about in particular time on task is, you know, he wanted extra time after practice, before practice, working with his receivers, running routes, creating that timing and that and that rapport. Right. And that he used to call that time on task after a few years of Brandon Stokely, the time on task there, they knew what each other were doing. Right. And I think for for Josh Allen, third year in Brian Dable's system. Um, that means in a system like the Air Perkins system too, that is pretty complex. It's not a quarterback friendly system. That is also, I, I think one of the, the things that doesn't get talked about enough with Josh Allen is, you know, you put a really developmental raw quarterback like Josh Allen in a super wordy and complex and nuanced offense like the Air Perkins system that is kind of rooted in what Brian Dable does. That is not necessarily what I would have handpicked for Josh Allen. You know, maybe you you get him in more of a Bruce Arians, you know, vertical type passing offense where, you know, he's got half field reads and, and, and you kind of let him sling it. Or even the West Coast offense It's not also not one that I would have, you know, handpicked for Josh Allen because a lot of it's predicated on good footwork and short passing game. But like more so from a nuanced portion of this and from him stepping in his rookie year and seeing the strides we saw rookie year to, to second year to this past season. Um, doing it in this type of system indicates to me that even if Brian Dable leaves, that whoever comes in, Josh Allen's going to be able to succeed. And, and I think what he's doing off schedule, off script, um, has been really impressive this year. But it's, it's between the years for me, and it's the mechanical tweaks that he's made in the offseason with, With Jordan Palmer and, and this is not a knock because I, I I know everybody in the NFL, when you get to this level, if you're starting quarterback or a guy fighting for a starting position at the quarterback position in, in the NFL, you are putting in a lot of time. It's, it's your livelihood, but there is something about Josh Allen's continued use of Jordan Palmer that I love. It's, I think Palmer is one of the rising young quarterback tutors in, 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 in football. I think it says a lot that he, you know, ran the pro day for, for Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the number one pick in this draft. I think. He has been instrumental in Josh Allen's mechanical ascension over the last year, year and a half on those deep balls. And, uh, you know, I retweeted something today that Josh Allen, by like three and a half percentage points, he was 77 percent accuracy percentage on balls with air yards of 20 to 28 yards or 21 to 28 yards and over 17 attempts um, at that. So the fact that he ranked you know three percentage points higher than Aaron Rodgers, the MVP, just goes to show you the year before he was dead last. He was 33rd. Almost qualifying quarterbacks in that area of the field. So uh, the Ascension to me, a lot of that has to do with mechanics and getting his arm. And he's talked a lot about that, getting his arm sort of more locked in like a golfer um, and more synchronized with his lower body. I think that's been really big. But you just you really can't simulate time on task and time in a system. And, and, and I think he's really benefited from that rapport that he has with Brian Dable.
0: Well, what about Allen's postseason? Now, he had a red-hot finish to the regular season by having three really good games in a row as the Bills you know, won the second seed in the AFC. Then he had a decent game against the Colts, followed by a couple of lackluster games, passing the ball against the Ravens and the Chiefs. I mean, why do you think he struggled so much in the postseason? Or would you even say that he struggled, in your opinion?
1: So I thought in the AFC divisional round and then in the, in the AFC championship game there was definitely some signs of struggle. Not a lot of it was his fault. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. Um, I think he was ready to play in that in that wild card game. He had been in that stage. He knew that, like he was prepared. He wasn't gripping the ball tight, and that that's a I don't know if that's a term you've ever heard, but like you know as a quarterback when you're gripping the ball tight and you're trying to aim the ball, you're not going to have, you're, you're, it's just not natural. Right. And you're not, you don't, you're not freely um, making throws. And I think Josh Allen was prepared mentally. He, he brought up the same Josh Allen. We'd saw the previous five weeks of the regular season um, in that wild card game. And then, you know, I listen two really good defenses. He plays back to back in Baltimore. Um, and, and, and and I think Kansas city's defense, who doesn't really get enough credit. I, I think they're a really good unit. Um, I think there was a level of that. Was it just a different stage? Um I loved that Josh Allen got to the AFC championship game because he knows what it's like playing at that stage now. And if, if you've been following along with Josh Allen, um, all you know is he needs to have that. If he has that experience, um, if I, 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 he doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes twice is basically what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the fact that, that he got that. I uh, just, it's, it's invaluable working experience getting to play in those games and, you know, losing and having both of those guys and Stefan Diggs and him have this sort of chip on their shoulder. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think Josh Allen's in a really good position. And, and, and I think that's, that's a really big part of, of the growing experience is, you know, getting to those games and, and, and you have the only way you can learn, you know, is, is by getting there. Um, and you know, no Bills quarterback has gone there in a long time. So I, I think it was really good learning experience for Josh and maybe even Brian Dable too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. I, I I have to ask you about the Bills run game because you know we're talking about Josh Allen we're talking about the offensive line I'm looking at the Bills running game this season and in my opinion it just it looks like it underperformed I don't think anyone would disagree with yeah. that they finished 20th in the league in rushing yardage they finished 20th in rushing yards per attempt so the low rushing yardage wasn't necessarily a result of volume and they have two solid running backs in, in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are they Alvin Kamara no but I I don't think that they necessarily need to be in order for the Bills offense to have more success running the ball, in your opinion, I mean, what do you think held back the Bills running the Bills running the ball more effectively? Was it scheme, coaching, offensive line, or or was it actually running back
1: talent? Oh, man, uh, you know, I think you could put all of those things in a big cauldron and come out with a percentage that's close to a hundred of blame, right? I, I think the running backs, although I agree that you know the underlying analytics would suggest that you know they were good. Um, they were able to break first contact. But uh, overall, they just didn't get a lot of running space. And, and I think the numbers bear that out. And I think they also you can make the argument simply at times didn't read, uh, you know, just didn't find the holes at times. I, and there was holes there that. Because of maybe they're both of their, you know, Moss and Singletary's lack of, you know, foot speed that maybe potentially cost them in, in, in a couple of situations. I mean, nothing that's making me overthink it, right? But what I, I guess ultimately I'll get to with this is, um, for me, the offensive line bears, I think, a brunt of the blame. I think, I think the play calling and the scheme and a lot of the, unwillingness to move off of outside zone um they ran a lot of outside zone and i don't think their offensive line was equipped to run it and run it with success and i think we needed to see more inside carries more traps more plug and pulls um and using mitchell morrison and on the move rather than keeping him stationary so so i think there was some scheme errors and i also think some of it fell on Josh Allen because Josh Allen and Brian Dable did a lot of check with these at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it starts as a, as a run play, but you also can check to a pass play. And a lot of times Josh checks to that pass play and all of a sudden you hear him call kill, kill, and he kills that pass play to get back to the run play and it really should have stayed in a pass play. So there was multiple times um, where, you know, Josh Allen made the wrong decision and turned around and hand the ball off when he should have, uh, you know, kept in, in, in on that second play as, as a pass. So um, it, there, there's a lot that goes into the run game, and I think people don't necessarily think about that. And maybe you just want to blame the running backs. I think all of them have and wear a, a, at least a percentage of the blame.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's good to know. I mean, I, I have to ask you about Twitter since you're so prominent on Twitter in general. I'll, I'll end with this question You have a lot of followers, you talk about all sorts of items, including Buffalo Bills, sports in general, personal things, and even some politics sometimes. I've only been on Twitter for the past few years. I imagine in your time, you've seen the best that Twitter has to offer, and you've also <laughs> probably seen the worst that Twitter has to offer. Um, I know I've seen both on my end, some intentional, some and not. Um, what's an example of one of the best things you've seen from Twitter that you see on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis on Twitter?
1: You know, uh, listen, I know uh, there's, there's no room for – for just things that happen and, and there isn't somebody that's going to throw stones at it, you know, whether it's on Twitter Facebook, whatever you want to social media in general. Um, but genuinely, I think this year, what, you know, seeing a lot of the charitable work uh, and the donations that the Bill's fan base, you know, did with Lamar Jackson and whether or not you care about the reasons people donated to his charity, it's not really your place in my opinion. And And I think if you're, upset or you know uh, triggered by people that are you know that want to donate when they should donate to charity you would rather than donate to it just ends up being pretty i think what that right there shows the exact paradox right Mm -hmm. is i I think it can be used for so many good things and even in those good things people are still going to say yeah but you know and and i think that's the unfortunate nature of it But, but you know for me I, I think it's been really cool to watch, you know, Twitter at times be used as a really good tool for like fans, like Bills fans and Bills Mafia, to, you know, whether it's helping in O'Shea's hospital, which, you know, I mean, right down the street from me here, I live right in downtown Buffalo, and, um, or or whether it's, um, you know, Lamar Jackson or or Pancho Biel's um, you know, backpack phone, just as I, the, the charitable nature of the of the fan base and kind of how they can rally around things quickly has always been, I, I think, a pretty cool and inspiring thing for me.
0: Absolutely. Now, what about one of the worst things that you see on Twitter? We can't just talk about the, the fun stuff and the good stuff. <laughs> what's one of the What's one of the most annoying things? I mean, I have a couple that I've seen from your account that people that you've had to deal with personally on Twitter. But I would like to hear one that uh, that, that that bothers you, or you're just like, really, like, do I have to deal with this? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, one of the things is like everyone is is just so kind of in the moment, right? Like you have a take about you know, Josh Allen and, and and you want to say like, and this happened like whatever, like a week or so ago where I was like, hey, you know, like I would still, if I had the opportunity to trade Deshaun Watson straight up, I would do it because Deshaun Watson is right now the better quarterback. And that whether or not that hurts your feelings doesn't mean it's not fact. Like Deshaun Watson is the second or third best quarterback in the league and Josh Allen's probably the fifth. So it's, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're pulling hairs, but like, you can't tell me that if you just got the, if you're on a playground, you could choose one of them that you wouldn't pick Watson first. I think you're being disingenuous. I think you're being a homer and a fanner. Right. And just because I say that doesn't disqualify me as, you know, having defended the guy for the better part of a year and a half, you know what I mean? And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's funny how, so you can forget so quickly, right. On, and I'm people that were like, you know, you're trying to be Nick Wright and I'm always negative and I'm not always negative, by the way. Um, and I, that, that is always something that frustrates me. Just because I am saying something that isn't overly positive right now doesn't mean I've never been, um, or I've always been negative on the player or, or a person or an idea or a coach or whatever, right? Um, so that's always something that bothers me is sort of like the what aboutism and the like recency bias people can have sometimes. What what
0: about that time? I think it was like last year, a couple of years ago, where there were like three Nate Geary uh, burner accounts at once, and they were all they did that office gift where like they're all three of them are in the uh, in the room together with the guns. I mean, would would you laugh at stuff like that when people are making burner accounts for you with your profile picture, or are you just are you just like is that funny to you, or is that just like this is this is annoying, this is frustrating?
1: it's weird to me um, I never would have thought you know when I was in college or when I started on social media that that would ever be where you know my destiny ended up um, but you know sort of like here I am uh, this is you know the situation but it's weird um, I mean I, I don't really like it I think it's a little lame and and a little childish but you know if if you let that kind of stuff get to you um twitter will make it a nightmare for you dude yeah
0: oh yeah yeah well like what about people saying oh well now i'm gonna unfollow you because you say something that i don't agree with specifically like you mentioned the josh allen thing or even if it's politics it's like you know they're just like i'm gonna unfollow you and i've seen you before say well good go ahead
1: yeah right i don't care you know like i'll get over it you know this is this is my, just as much as it's your uh, right and space to be on there, it's just as much as mine. And just because, you know, I get paid to talk about sports doesn't mean like, you know, I just have to talk about sports. And that's, you know, but people, it's not, that's not a really reason to take for people. So.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate, you know, really, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on some yeah, wagons. Um Where can they find your work on WGR and social media if they haven't found it already?
1: Yeah, like you said, um sports talk Saturday is kind of my on air duties um once the bill season winds down. Um, you know, and I'll be on various podcasts from time to time. my written works up at WGR550.com. Um and uh yeah, sports talk Saturdays on Saturdays from eleven to two, and that's usually where you can find me unless, you know, there's a Sabres game and my show my show gets shortened. But um yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me.
0: Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I'm yeah, so glad we yeah. could finally do this and everything. So uh best of luck in the future with everything. We look forward to talking to you again.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, anytime. Let me know.
0: Thanks again to Nate Geary from WGR 550 and cover one for coming on to talk bills, free agency with us. Hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. So you get every single show in your feed. As soon as it comes out, we are setting up more and more interviews with some awesome people to talk to before free agency in the draft. So, make sure to keep listening, keep subscribing, keep downloading, and until then, go Bills, and we'll talk to you guys again soon.
2: Yeah, it's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the Mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. Who you repping? What's your team? Who you reppin', what's your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team. I got Josh Allen on my team. Micah High, Jordan Poya, can you catch it? Trade day is like a mask, you not catchin' anything. Matt Milano makin' plays, we not scared of any team. Best in the AFC, all the praise of Brandon Bean. You hear Sean McDermott clappin' while I'm you? Jerry Hughes will get the sack soon as you snap it. Andre Roberts running back, ain't no just backin'. Mafia, we on a ride and we got traction. We got Beasley, we got Digs. Like uh, McKenzie, make you miss. Dawson Nas with the stiff. I'm treated opponents just like his. Feliciano, Deion Dawkins. Block defenders like the fence. Hey, it's the Mafia. I said no one on top of us. I said no one is blocking us on top of our division. So it's clear that it's no stopping us. Google best team in the league. And we popping up. Hey. Who you repping? with your team? Who you repping? with your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team selling on my team it's the mafia you know i'm rocking with the bills it's the mafia you know i'm rocking with the bills it's the mafia i'm with the buffalo bills it's the mafia you know i'm rocking with the bills hey it's the mafia i said no one on top of us i said no one is blocking us on top of our division so it's clear that it's no stopping us google best team in the league and we pop it up Home game for the playoffs, but you already snow. Gabe Davis is a rookie, but he playing like a pro. Uh, going through a table, only time we ever fold. Can you dig it, 17, about to take us to the bowl. Ay, to the bowl yeah. uh, don't you run it. No. Oliver and Trey Edmonds going to be on it. We got Corey, but we barely ever punt it. Because we just running up to score on our opponent. We got BZ, we got dig, single Terry by the Duke out of shoes, make a miss, run it in, Zach, also throw the digs. It's the Six, Terry Johnson, pig six. To the house, take a flick, Hey, it's the mafia, you know I'm rockin' with the bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rockin' with the bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rockin' with the
1: bills. The mafia, you know with the bills. Who you rappin', what's your team? Who you rappin', what's your team? You know I'm rapping for my team. On my team. On my team. Bowl, what you Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's charlie tango whiskeypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly,
2: Go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>